0: Welcome and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. We are doing our series called God Has a Name and I love, 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 love that intro. Um, if you weren't here last week, I'll just give you a quick recap. We uh, are doing a series that we were supposed to do uh, matching Sunday for Sunday with a church in Ireland that we support as a mission. And uh, so some people from the church in Ireland contributed reading to the scripture and some people from here at our church contributed reading from scripture. And when I sent it, it was made by the guys in Ireland. They put the whole video together with all the readings and stuff and uh, they messaged me back and they said, we wish that we could have had that lady from your church do the whole scripture reading. Miss Selma, she did uh, a tremendous job. But uh, I, they said, we wish we could have just had her, but we didn't want to upset our people. So <laughs> and so we are excited to be talking about God Has a Name. This is uh, based on a book called by John Mark Comer by the same name, God Has a Name. And we're going to talk about, over these next few weeks, continuing about the name of God, and that's Yahweh. But before we jump into that too much, I want you to be able to get to know me a little bit better, even if you didn't want to. Um, You know, it's okay. Uh, My name's Bobby, and uh, some of you know a little bit. Who thinks you know me pretty well? Okay, I'm going to share just a few random facts about me. Um, I have been paid to do karaoke before. I did. Some of my youth group years ago, they wanted me to get up and sing karaoke, and I was like, nope, not going to do it, not going to do it. I don't know why. I was just being that way. I'm not ashamed or afraid to be up in front of anybody and act like an idiot. I'm actually very good at it, as you can tell. But I just was like, hey, 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 I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not going to do it. And so they started collecting money. And me being the responsible, godly youth minister, I took it. Um, and I got up and I sang karaoke to Ice Ice Baby. Um, I didn't even need the words on the screen because I'm just that real. I, I know almost all the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby. I, I can hook you up. Uh, and so anyway, um, that's one thing. I have uh, had a gun pointed at me twice in my life with ill intent. I've not always been a preacher. I was a thug, evidently. But anyway, I, you know, so I've had that happen. That's the, um, I've always wanted to be a pilot, and I've actually flown a plane for a few minutes. And so that was cool. The, the pilot passed out. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. He, he let me take control while he was in the other seat. At least he told me I took control. Yeah, I was 21, so he might have just been playing with me. You know? <laughs> anyway, um, a, a few other things. I, I shared last week, but i repeat this one if you're new. Uh, my name, my given name is Bobby Jean. It's not Robert, it's Bobby Jean. Like I said, I missed my calling as a NASCAR driver. Don't know how that ha- didn't happen. And my last name's Wallace. If you know anything about the history of NASCAR, there's big race, race car driver's name. And there's actually one now, Bubble Wallace. And so, um, I missed that calling. But, anyway... Uh, I've ridden in a NASCAR car in the passenger side on a special Richard Petty driving school. My dad did the class where he drove, and I got to ride along later on. I did 176 miles an hour in a circle, oval. I mean, it was intense and fun. It was really good. Say what? (laughs) It was very fast. It was unbelievable. So um, I also, oh, just another thing. I'm known by many things, I'm known by son, I'm known by husband, I'm known by dad, but my youngest son, Andrew, uh, he's four years old, he just gave me um, a new name that actually applies to a lot of people, but he called that me that first. And he was talking, he said, yeah, mom is a lady, and then he said, and dad's an old grump. I was like, what? I was like, you're not wrong, but you're not wrong but for real four years old and you decided to call me an old grump and then we realized he said it a little bit more a little bit more l- women are ladies and men are old grumps you see where we're going with this Grown-ups, old gr- He was trying to say grown-ups. He was trying to say grown-ups. And so we still, tr- we're, we're not correcting that, you know, hopefully he still says it, but he might walk up and if you just said, hey, what is she? And he'd be like, lady. And then, what is he? Old grump. Old grump. <laughs> and he's trying to say grown-ups. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but anyway, so I am an old grump, whether uh, he meant it that way or not. Well, we talked about last week about that God's name is, can be translated, who I am, I will be. He does not change. He does not change. He is constant. He is steady. He is secure. You can trust our God. Or as he would say it in the Hebrew, Eya, Asher, Eya. Or as we would say it oftentimes in Hebrew, Yahweh. Yahweh is what we would say is the name that God told Moses there on the mountain or there at the burning bush. So the question is, though, we want to dig into a little bit more this morning, is why does the Bible call God Yahweh? Why does it really matter that we know sort of a... I I won't go as far as to say a proper name, but why would... Just for the sake of ease, let's say, why would we necessarily want to call God a proper name? Well, we talked about the reason why main being is that we want to have a relationship and we have a very close relationship with God our Father. We don't have to be distant like the Old Testament Jews. The the way into the Father has been opened up through the curtain of Jesus' body, His flesh, like we remembered at communion time today. And so we can freely enter the presence of our Father and crazily enough, His presence through the Holy Spirit lives in us. You know, I've heard people talk about, uh, you know, they've used the phrase, the house of, of the Lord. And they're talking about a building. And in the Old Testament, that was sort of a true statement. God came into that one place, the tabernacle, the tent, and then ultimately the temple. And he would come and dwell from time to time in a place. But you and I, a Christian, if you're a Christian today, we are the temple of God. We are the very dwelling place of God. And this is only by association, this place is only the house of God when we come in together because the presence of God is here. And when we scatter, the presence of God is still with us. And so we've got this crazy, unique, close relationship. So why don't we just call him God by his title, maybe? And we do a lot, and that's okay. But the reason that I think it's important to not only call him God is because there are other gods, little g-gods out there. Now, 2022, our modern, educated minds might be pushing back a little bit about that. It's like, eh, not really. And we want to dig into that for a second. And that might be unsettling to you. And you might even disagree. And if we don't call them little g-gods, I'll say... That's all right, but make no mistake, there is spiritual power all around us. There's spiritual power all in this world, all around us, and it is up to something. It may not be as powerful as Yahweh, as our God on high, the Almighty God, but it is power. Don't be fooled. There is spiritual power around us. God said in the Ten Commandments, His first set of uh, commands to His people when He had His covenant with them, He said, "Thou shalt worship no other gods." I don't go King James very much, but it just feels right with the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt, you shall not worship any other gods. That's what Yahweh said. Then the next one He says is, "Then you," He said, "You shall not make a carved image to worship or an idol." So his first two commands are, don't worship any other gods and don't make any idols, which idols are used to do what? Worship other gods. Let me pause and cause us to think here for a second. If God says don't worship any other gods, don't you think we should at least open our minds to the idea that there might be some powerful, but less powerful little g gods besides our God and father Yahweh? We don't need to ignore it. It's been said many times before that Satan's greatest trick is to convince you and I that he is not real. You know? And Satan is not a god in the sense that God is. And and we're going to talk a little bit more about the the technicalities and and the language in that. and, And you don't have to use that word. But we need to accept the fact that there is spiritual power all around us. And if they have no power, why would Yahweh waste his time saying... Don't worship them. I mean, the first thing he says, here's rule number one. Don't worship any other gods. He didn't say gods. You know, God didn't wink in air quotes, you know. He said, don't worship any other gods. We need to consider that there are other powers out there acting and at work And like we said, in our modern educated society, it might be easy to say, ah, you know, that's just, uh, all those people way back then and even some people now, they worship these other gods, but most of it was just figments of their imagination. But was it really, though? You know, these people were very intelligent. They might not have had all the technologies that we have, but they would pray and chant and call out to their gods and stuff would happen sometimes. Don't get me wrong, sometimes it was a figment of their imagination. Yeah, sometimes it was a dink. you know? You know, it's like, I mean, if you cut up enough chickens and burn them on, a, on an altar, it's going to rain eventually when you do that, right? And so, I mean, sometimes it may have been that. It may have been coincidence. But these beings, these things that they worship at times had very real power because it caused hundreds and thousands of people to follow this particular little G God, if you will. In Exodus, when Moses goes to Pharaoh and he tells him, Pharaoh, to let God's people go, he does some miracles or some, some things that God gives him the power to do. He's got the staff that he carries that God had blessed and he throws it down and it turns into a what? Do you remember the story? A snake, a serpent. It turns into a snake. And so the Egyptian uh, magicians and whatever you want, enchanters and all that sort of stuff, they say, okay, cool. So Pharaoh calls them over, they throw down their staffs and they become what? Snakes. Now, God one up them, and Moses' snake does what? Eats their snakes, which is, I'm like, yeah, take that up You know, I love that. You know, that's God's like that. He's funny. Um, and so, they, but they can do it, though. They can turn their staff into a snake. It moves around and slithers, I guess. I don't know exactly what they did, but it happened. It, the Bible doesn't say it was, you know, you know, Plato snakes. It was snakes. And so, they do this. And then, the next, the, the first plague that they do to get Pharaoh's attention, to let God's people go, is they turn the Nile into blood, the water into blood. That's what Moses does, and God does through him. And it's a horrible thing because they worship the Nile, and of course it was their source of drinking water, and and pretty much all the water in the land of Egypt turned into blood. But it comes along, the, the enchanters, the magicians, they come along, and guess what? They do the same thing. They do the same thing. They turn water into blood. Could have been food coloring, who knows, but there may have been some real power there. And then the second plague comes along because Pharaoh, of course, you know, at first he's troubled, but then he says, nope, not letting them go. And they do the second plague and he has frogs just come up by the hundreds and thousands out of the water and just start everywhere, everywhere. They're covering everything. But guess what? Pharaoh's magicians, they go and they can make frogs appear all just like that. And then the next plague is very interesting. Um, some translations say insects, some say lice. Uh, it's, it's a little more commonly there. Gnats. How many times have you ever been outside and there's been a swarm of gnats? You want to talk about frustration, don't you? I mean, don't you just wish at times you had a flamethrower? <laughs> Y'all are not sick and twisted like me. I'm like, I hate those things. I mean, you're opening your mouth or going in your nose. It's, but this was that time's millions. And the magicians are called over. And he's like, Pharaoh's like, hey, watch this. Magicians, come here. And they're like, dust. Come on. Because that's what they, they came out of the dust. They're like, dust. Pooh-a-boo. Alakazam. Shamalu. You know, whatever they said. Nada. The trick is next. So if you got a good magician, you say, make some gnats for me, and then you got the test whether they're a good magician or not. I thought that was funny. Y'all come on. Just courtesy, thank you, courtesy laugh. I like that. But they could not do the gnats. It, maybe it was just sleight of hand those other times. But I don't think it necessarily was. Because Pharaoh would have been probably one of the most educated people in the land. And we all know from history that the Egyptians were incredibly intelligent and technologically advanced for their time. They've got stuff we didn't figure out for a long time as our society. I would think if they were total charlatans that could not produce any power, Pharaoh or Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh before would have said, off with your head. You're out of a job. They had some real power. And in Exodus uh, 12, verse 12, here's what Yahweh says in regards to the Passover when God's people are about to be let go. It says in Exodus 12, verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And guess what word that is? Yahweh. I am Yahweh. So he says, I'm going to execute judgment on who? All of the little G gods. And oh, firstborn, you're right. You're wrong. I'm not going you're right. Firstborn and on man and beast, of both man and beast and of all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. God Yahweh says, I'm going to judge these gods. If they're not real at all, why judge them? Why execute judgment on them? He is trying to show them for what they are. They are frauds. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand it all. They are not equal with Yahweh, but they have some power. Stick with me here. He doesn't say false gods. It's interesting when that word gods is there, the Hebrew word is Elohim. And if you were not sleeping during last week's message, you may have heard that in Genesis at the creation account, it says that the spirit of god was hovering over the surface of the deep guess what word that is we said elohim so as we told you last week elohim is sort of a generic word for god and it's often used for other spiritual powers and so god himself says these spiritual powers i am going to execute judgment on elohim the same word used for yahweh in the creation account in genesis these are spiritual beings and the New Testament talks a lot about spiritual forces of evil. And how about the Gospels? Jesus spent so much of his ministry casting out demons, evil spirits. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not all a fraud. There are some real things out there. You know, for a long time, I sort of thought that anybody who claimed to be uh, maybe a psychic or a, a tarot card reader or, you know, Ouija boards, a lot of it is just mess. A lot of it is just coincidence and nothing really happens. But there are some stories that I've since learned. And I can tell you some of those things and some of those people have access to a power that's A little stronger than you and me. It's not God's power. But we don't need to be so naive. It goes on in Luke chapter 8. And here's an account of Jesus interacting with a spiritual being. A demon, if you will. It says, when Jesus had stepped out on land, in verse 27. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. And he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. I don't care who you are, what time you live in, that's, that's creepy. He lived among the tombs. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Pause. Jesus had not completely revealed who he was in his fullness at this point. But these beings inside of this man, guess what? They knew. James writes that we say we believe. That's great. Even the demons believe. They, they know. He knew that Jesus is God. And yet they still shudder in terror because they are not saved. Just acknowledging who Jesus is is not enough. And they knew. These demons knew. It says, verse 29, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. The guy had the strength through these demons to rip and break chains, y'all. I mean, we're talking crazy strong. Crazy strong. It goes on, verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For we For many demons had entered him. There is spiritual power in this world around us. And it can affect this world in very concerning, scary ways. But let me say this. Don't be scared. (laughs) Don't be scared. Jesus healed the man. He sent the spirits, evil spirits into nearby pigs. And just so you know, in case you need a little history lesson. This is the first time that deviled ham was ever introduced. Thank you. you. Tip your waiters. I'll be here all week. (laughs) I couldn't help it. I could not help it. The Bible was like, here's a lob. And I was like, all right. So there are many occurrences in the Gospels, not just this one, but especially where spiritual beings are. are are, are doing horrible and difficult things to people. They're tormenting people. And Jesus or the disciples are casting these spirits out. These spirits have been showing superhuman strength, like breaking of chains. They were hurting people. They were causing illness. The point is this. The point is this. There's a power out there around us and among us. And it's not on Yahweh's side. And it's not on yours or my side either. It's not. There are people who will worship these powers and they'll think that these things are benevolent and good. And of course you're going to act benevolent and good until you get your control over someone and then they're going to reveal exactly who they are and what they are and the pain they cause. They're working against Yahweh's plan and we've got to realize that there is something or someone's around us and they're working against Yahweh's plan and this might be scary I'm not I'm not trying to scare you it may make you feel a little bit overwhelmed it's intense to think about if this is a new idea to you these powers are out there what are they going to do to me you know it might be the concern that comes in your mind it's smart to be cautious but there's good news here's good news. Something that we try to say from time to time and hopefully live is that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. First John 3 verse 8 says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So, no matter what Satan, the deceiver, the, you know, the enemy is accomplishing, no matter what any spirits might be accomplishing, Jesus came to destroy those things. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, um, it talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus' ministry was to come and destroy the stronghold of Satan the enemy, the deceiver, and ultimately his greatest tool is death. Sin and death. And that's what Jesus came to destroy. And it looked like the dark powers had won for a while when Jesus hung on that cross. Am I right? You know, have you ever really paused and and think about the six hours that, that Jesus was on the cross on that Friday? Just how dark it was and literally it was dark that the clouds came and the sun was blocked out and there was thunder and there was all sorts of things and all sorts of horrible things and there was such a powerful event and testimony that one of the guards that stood there and crucified him after seeing what happened, he looked and said, surely he was the son of God. He became a believer right then and there. You know, he believed in who Jesus was right then and there. This was a powerful day. And I can imagine that Satan, I mean, he was cheering. All these powers, they were cheering. They're like, yes, yes, because they're smart, but they're not that smart. And they don't know everything that Yahweh knows. And they were cheering. And then for all of Saturday as he was taken down and he was put into that tomb. And then they were cheering and they were probably dancing. They were partying. Man, they were excited. It was a ruckus, and then early, early Sunday morning, just as the light of the sun began to peek over the horizon, the earth began to shake. Everything rumbled. The earth began to, to- and the stone rolled away, and out walks King Jesus. King Jesus walks out. He had defeated death once and for all. He had defeated illness and sickness and cancer. He had defeated all these things. Even though it may not be evident completely yet, He had defeated it all. And we can know that Jesus is the victor. It says in Paul, uh, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says that He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Jesus comes and, I mean, He lays the smackdown. I mean, He absolutely, overwhelmingly conquers death and its friends. He conquers every power that would ever hold a claim to your life or my life. He conquers everything and it says he didn't, just, he didn't just beat them, he disgraced them. He put them out in front and he said, ha ha, look at this. Now you might think that maybe that sounds immature, but he is saying, look, overwhelmingly, everybody see what was accomplished through my death on the cross. I did it for you. I did it for everybody that's lived. I did it for everybody that's going to live, everybody that's living. I did it for you. They have no power. Don't give them any power. Don't let them have a stronghold in your life. Jesus is victorious. He's victorious. And if you're in Him, you are victorious. I didn't hear any amens. <laughs> Almost everybody, amen, even if you're not an amener, you were at least like, <clears throat> amen. When we said Jesus is victorious. But a lot of us are like, if you're in Him, you are victorious. You're like, "Uh." and I believe that lie a lot too. I believe that that's not about me, many times, more than I like to admit. But I'm here to tell you if you are in Christ, if you have obeyed God's word, if you have come under the blood of Jesus, then you are victorious. You have victory in Jesus, and you don't have to walk around defeated. I'm not talking about a health and wealth gospel where you can claim your jet or your bins or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life, and it doesn't matter what this world does to you, it doesn't matter what this world throws at you, it doesn't matter how much it stomps on you. You have victory in Jesus. You. And here's the really good news. If you can't say that with all certainty, if you don't know, if you are in Christ, man, we would love nothing better than to sit down with God's word and show you exactly what God says. And you can be in him today. Today. You can have victory. Unfortunately, these spiritual powers, these little G gods, these demons, or what have you, are still able to wreak some havoc, aren't they? Jesus has won, but even though they're defeated, they still wreak wreak a lot of havoc right now. And one of the coolest ways that, uh, John Mark Comer explains it like this in his book, and I love it, so I want to share this analogy with you. If you know anything about World War II, do you remember D-Day? When we turned the tide of the war in in Europe, and, and we attacked and landed on the beaches of France and Normandy, and then at that point, you could say that the Allied powers won the war. The war was basically over. Once D-Day was going through and, and they got all the troops in there and they started marching, I mean, Germany was just fighting scared. And they were running and they were just trying to cause some havoc and stuff. And so for a while they still had power and they still did some things. They still hurt people. A lot of lives were lost in those intervening days. But then VE days, victory in Europe day comes and all people are celebrating because the war is over. And so right now Jesus has won the war at our spiritual D-Day. He destroyed the enemy's power and we're going to still fight a little bit of battles until Jesus comes back. So hold on, hang on. Perhaps the greatest problem that many people have with God isn't God at all. And here's why I say this. Because many people choose not to believe in Yahweh because of what C.S. Lewis called the problem of pain. And because these spiritual forces have power, they and just life and nature, because nature's broken because of sin entering the world and death entered the world, Life is difficult, isn't it? And so when life gets difficult, it's easy for us to point our finger and say, God, if you were good, if you were good, all this pain wouldn't happen. How can there be a God with so much pain and injustice in the world, we might ask? But if there are spiritual forces in this world that are working against Yahweh, isn't it at least fair to consider That they may have something to do with all the heartache and the pain. Isn't it fair to consider it? That it might not be God causing this heartache. And it might be these powers that have their will to act against the will of God. Not to mention, as I said, the presence of our sin. And when we make choices that are sinful, we hurt ourselves, we hurt other people. And then because the earth is broken and longing to be redeemed, the earth has all kinds of issues that cause sickness and death and all sorts of stuff. So there's plenty of reasons to not blame God and say, God, you are the only hope. Now, don't get me wrong. Not every bad thing that happens is Satan. Okay, hear that. Not every bad thing that happens is Satan or demons or spiritual forces, but let's face it, Yahweh's will is not being done when people suffer. I I don't know if you heard that, but you need to hear that. Yahweh, God's will, is not being done when people suffer. We don't need to blame our Father, our God, our Yahweh when suffering is in this world. And that's why Jesus modeled in his prayer in Matthew 6, verse 10, he said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because he knew that God's will, the Father's will, Yahweh's will was not being done the way it is in heaven. And so it's our goal to pray that it be done here as it is in heaven. And that we, as the kingdom of God, the church, live our lives for Jesus. That we try to do the will of the Father more and more and more. So when people are hurt, when people are broken, we, the church, can come along and let His will be done by being arms around their shoulders, shoulders to lean on. People to give our hands and our feet to them to serve them and help them heal and recover and be restored. That's why Jesus said, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking to us to do God's will. And so as we seek to do God's will, his kingdom is fulfilled a little more here on earth. But how about idols? I'm almost done. Please don't freak out. (laughs) How about idols are they just lifeless images even in the new testament paul wrote in 1 corinthians 10 4 he says therefore my beloved flee from idolatry paul's a pretty no-nonsense guy he uh, he was he was wordy but he also cut to the point I mean, when people were saying, okay, you can become a Christian, but then you also need to be a Jew. You guys need, all you Gentiles need to be circumcised. He was like, I wish they'd go ahead and emasculate themselves if they're going to do all that. I mean, he didn't didn't cut any corners. I'm full of it today, y'all. I'm literally. You decide what it is. But anyway. He said, you, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If it wasn't powerful, he wouldn't say flee it. And John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. One of Jesus' closest friends wrote in his older years, keep yourself from idols. He did not become enlightened and say they're only always a lump of wood or stone. Sometimes they are. But he said, keep yourself free from them. Keep yourself free from these things. So while our idols these days aren't often wood or stone, we have idols nonetheless. This isn't really an idol. It's a little gnome. Cute little guy. But we worship things rather than Yahweh many times. And like I said, most of the time we don't worship little images of stone or images of wood. We worship different things. We worship things like online shopping. (laughs) You know, we worship things like chasing beauty and youth. Oh, my goodness. I mean, have you seen some of the things that people do to themselves to try to be beautiful? And I'm like, "Eh, it's not working. Back it up, back it up. It was better before. I mean, the things that we do to ourselves, we chase and we worship car dealerships because we got to get our dream car. We worship sports stadiums and those in them. We worship Senate chambers thinking that politics and all that sort of stuff can fix our lives. We worship banks and what they hold or don't hold. We worship bottles and needles and pills and if there are real spiritual beings, which I think we've made a pretty good case for, there are real spiritual beings out there meaning to do us harm, isn't it safe to consider that they might use some of these idols to make and inflict pain on you and I? Don't you think that they're going to use these things? Some of these things are even good. It's okay to, to want to be better looking. It's okay to have some money. It's okay to, you know, some of that stuff is good. But they'll take those things and they'll become an idol that will worship in the place of God. And they attach real spiritual power and they get their claws into us and their hooks into us where we really can't even seem to get away. So if we choose not to worship Yahweh, the problem is we're going to find something to worship. We're going to find something to worship. We might say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the God of the Bible, the Hebrew God. I don't believe in Jesus. He was just a itinerant a, a teacher. You know, you can say all these different things. And people can choose to say, I'm not going to believe in Yahweh. But the problem is, that void is going to be there. You and I were made to worship something. We are wired to worship. If you're wondering what you may be worshiping. Now, it's easy now let me pause real quick and say this it's easy for us to sit here and say look where I am today I'm absolutely worshiping Yahweh but there have been many times in my life and there have probably been times in your life when you thought you were worshiping Yahweh but like we said a little bit last week we have often shaped God into our own image and we have conglomerated this mess of tangled stuff and have made up who we call God and it might not be Yahweh So answer these questions. Think about these three areas, these three topics to help you figure out what you worship. What gets your time? What gets the bulk of your time or who gets the bulk of your time? What gets your money? Where does the great vast sum of your money go? And to what or to whom do you go for comfort? Those are three questions I want you to answer. And I don't want you to answer them in just a moment. If you want to write them down, if you want to take a picture of the screen, do whatever you need to do. But ask yourself over these next few days and even pray and talk to God as you're reading your Bible. God, help me to see what I worship. Where does my money go? Where does my time go? And to what do I run to for comfort? Some of our idols can be food. Food. They can be many things. If you choose to worship beauty and romance and sex, you'll always feel ugly and lonely and unfulfilled. You'll always feel. Because there will always be somebody who looks better. There will always be somebody who seems to have a better relationship and you will be lonely and unfulfilled feeling. If you choose to worship money and stuff, you'll always feel poor and discontent and unsatisfied with the life that you have. How many of us have sat there and missed a lifetime of what could have been joy if we just looked at the people around us rather than worry about the stuff that we didn't have? How many of us are miserable because we play the comparison game? You've heard it said many times before, the best way to kill something good is to compare it to something else. Don't compare to other things. Focus on Yahweh. But here's the thing. If you choose to worship Yahweh, the creator of the world, all things good. He creates all things good, including you and me. You'll experience peace. You'll experience joy and contentment. And you'll truly find your significance. We all worship something. Choose Yahweh. But if you're going to choose Yahweh, it's time to smash the idols. Poor little guy. It's about to go down here. I hope. <laughs> Don't run on me. His face broke off, poor little guy. You may think this is silly. Some of you need to do this today. You might not have a physical thing, but there might be something physical connected to whatever your idol is that may have become your God, your little G God. And there might be some real spiritual power connected to that that's keeping you from truly being Yahweh's. And it's time for you to go home and to break this thing. I don't know what it is. I don't know who it is. I don't know what it is that's pulling you away. But you might need today to say, I'm cutting the ties. I am changing my choices. I am not going to worship these things anymore. I am going to destroy the idols that are controlling me. Maybe it's time, unfortunately, to end the friendship that's just dragging you down rather than you leading them to Jesus. Or maybe it's time for you to change jobs. Or maybe it's time for you to get a dumb phone instead of a smartphone because it's leading you down paths you don't need to be going. Or maybe it's time to sell something that owns you. Maybe it's time to make a change. The answer is, you know what it is. Or God will reveal it to you if you ask Him to. And it's time to smash it. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. If you take some time and really look in the mirror of God's word, you'll start to know if you're seeking to love Yahweh with your everything. If not, it's time to do some smashing. Ask God to help you see. God, am I loving you as best I can? And we're not talking about perfection. Don't don't let the enemy whisper that in your ear. All of a sudden, we got to be perfect we're saying if that's not your goal that you're striving for to love God with all your heart mind soul and strength everything that you have it's time to do some smashing of some idols it's time to do some tearing down of some altars it's time to do some hard work to allow Yahweh to be the king of your life we all worship something it's time to choose Yahweh today if you want to know what it means to be in Christ I would love to share with you. I'll be right off to the side and we can stay as long as we need to after the service is over. We can talk. If if you just want to write on a connect card text me, call me, whatever. Just write that and we'll take care of it. We'll reach out to you. We'll help you know what God says about letting everything else die around you Loving God with everything you have, turning away from your life of sin, just walking away from it, confessing Him as Lord, being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then walking every day, following Him, trying to love Him more with everything that you have. Or maybe today you've done all that, but you picked some idols back up. It's time to get to smashing. Don't leave here without choosing Yahweh. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.